Philippians 3, beginning at at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, to the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Good morning. It's almost like summer has arrived, finally. I see a few sunburns out there. It's a good sign. It's good to be together. I, I guess you enjoy it too, or you wouldn't be here, but we're, it's the right thing to do, but it is good to come together and enjoy one another in unity and in good fellowship, in good worship, and coming around the Word of God as we learn a little bit together, I hope. If you remember last week, we were talking about paddling toward the goal. Um, We saw Paul expand on that goal of knowing Christ in chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, which Steve read part of that this morning as well as, as the passage we're getting into. So you can look at that, open your Bible there as we start in. But again, last week we were reminded this, this expansion on Paul's goal brings action to our Christian life, pursuing the goal of knowing Christ and looking toward the prize at the end. Now, in contrast to what he thought he had in Judaism, you remember that. He, he stated all those things that he was and he did. Now, Paul, it's stated emphatically that he has not yet reached the goal. He hasn't attained perfection, but he does have an action plan. And he shares that with us, and that's the challenge for us, that action plan. We looked at these three points, forgetting what is behind. There's things we need to forget sometimes, right? That is, accept God's forgiveness and grace and let go of some things in our past. It's just like a slow start in a race or, or a mistake made along the way. It needs to be forgotten as we look toward the finish line. Secondly, Paul says he's reaching forward to what is ahead. I think that can bring to mind our level of commitment. Are we 100% committed to the goal? Do we value that goal in addition? 
straining forward toward the goal is, is the wording there. And then third, Paul says, dioko, that is, I pursue, I press on toward the goal, toward the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. I like that statement, I press on. If we were good Greeks, it would be all one word, dioko, or something like that. I think it speaks to determination. Are we determined? Are we growing in our level of determination to seek the Lord as we go in our Christian life, to know Christ, to win the race? Even when we're in the middle of nowhere, pulling hard at the paddle, and there's pain, it's here that the race is won. It's here that determination is needed. And that's really where we are in life right now, right? In the middle, pulling hard at the paddle. I hope we're pulling hard at the paddle. Well, that brings us to the last five verses of the chapter, which hopefully we'll walk through today and then talk about some of the principles out of these verses. So it's chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Let's ask the Lord to meet us As we look at these words, God, I know you will meet us. You're here. I pray that these words that you have written and recorded and preserved for us would be not just feel-good words or not just Christianese that would be familiar and go in one ear and out the other, as it were, but that they would truly, by your Spirit, reach the need that we have that they would challenge us we we always need that we need encouragement we need a challenge we need motivation to do and let us help one another as we hear the word together and as we study the word together to encourage one another in the right action plan we pray in jesus name amen We'll take a, ver- take a look at verse 17 to begin with. He says, brothers, and you can add to that sisters. He's talking about brethren, his family. He says, join in imitating me. So first he gives this familiar, using a familial, I should say, family-oriented term, calling them family, brothers and sisters, placing himself kind of alongside them, among them in a way. And then he says, join in imitating me. Now, this is not the only time, if you remember, as you read through your Bible, that you see in Scripture where Paul says to believers, follow me or imitate me. But in this context, I think it gets us to think about what he is calling believers to, what he's calling them to imitate. Um, And that's us too, isn't it? Paul has just admitted, think about that concept now. and, And so remember, Paul has admitted that he is not perfect he has not made it yet so we know he's not some kind of guru some kind of holy man now he could have right here called upon his authority as or his position his placement as an apostle that sets him apart but the statement instead that he uses is brothers and sisters to the philippian church there so we take note that he's not calling the philippians or us for that matter to follow him in absolute perfection I think he's calling us, rather, to imitate him in seeking, in pursuing absolute perfection. That is, Jesus. Simply put, pursuing Jesus. 
Remember the recently discussed goals, as we just mentioned them even now. Forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what's ahead, pressing on. Think about Paul's goal in verse 10. You can see it there. Um, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. That's the statement of Paul in verse 10. Paul is a man on a mission to know Jesus, to seek him, to actively understand him. I don't think it's a one and done. In other words, Paul is pulling hard at the oar in the race of life, right alongside the other believers. He's straining with everything he has to reach the finish line, to win the prize. This is what he's calling us to imitate. Did you catch that? That's what we are to imitate. Pulling at the oar like he is, learning from his goals as to what our goals should be, imitating his passion and seeking godliness and the prize at the end of it all. Well, he doesn't stop there in 17. He goes on to add that others should be imitated. He says, consider or keep your eyes on or even look out for those who are living according to my example. Remember in verse 2, you, can, you, you might even see it there. Um, Paul says, watch out or look out for those who will lead you astray. Remember the evil workers, he calls them dogs, those who, who mutilate the flesh with their syncretistic belief systems. Now, on the positive side, he says, look out for, keep your eyes on those who are living according to my example, who are seeking and pursuing Jesus. So perhaps you could see it as two layers. Join in imitating me and those who properly follow my or, or even our, their example. To the Philippian church, he, he might have been saying, hey, I'm not around all the time, but take note of those devoted brothers and sisters who are following my example and imitate them. Remember Timothy and Epaphroditus out of chapter 2, we, we spent some time talking about them. Paul set them as examples to the Philippian church. Maybe it's Timothy and Epaphroditus he has in mind as he says, follow their example, and I'm sure others too. The Philippians should be looking to, they should be watching and imitating those who are seeking the Lord. Now, <clears throat> we need to maybe work on this idea of imitating, and we will for the rest of the, the morning here, but you can't see it at all, hardly, but... <laughs> There's a light picture there of, of deep steps in the snow. If you've ever walked in deep snow, white on white, I should have known better, but if, if you've ever walked in the snow and have to punch through the surface before you can take the next step, you know how nice it is to follow someone, to, to send the long-legged person ahead, to imitate their steps as you try to make your way to the goal. So I think in simple terms, maybe you could think about it like that. Paul is saying, step where I step. Now in the next two verses, Paul again warns them. And remember that warning in 3, 2, verse 2, to take care, be alert to who they are following. On the one hand, there are good examples to be had, right? Imitate these folks. 
but take care, he's saying. So he tells them, again, reminding them that he has warned them in the past, perhaps even in person, of those who live as enemies of Christ's work of love, of redemption on the cross. On the cross, I think Paul says he speaks of these with tears. This grieves Paul. These selfish, truly, at the, at the base level, selfish, humanistic individuals, he would like them to come to Christ. He would love to see them come to the truth and be saved. Now, I don't know exactly who Paul has in mind here. You can think about who that might be. But I don't think that they are always easy to spot. They're always easily discerned as those who are against God. And that's perhaps the reason for the warning. In verse 19, then Paul further defines them and he clarifies that they are not only out there in your midst, perhaps, be on guard, but truly they are against God, they're enemies of salvation. Pretty strong language. He, goes, he says their end is destruction. Look at verse 19. So they're not serving anything that lasts, anything that's godly in reality. Rather, they are headed to destruction. He goes on, their God is their stomach. Now, perhaps they are literally gluttons. That very well could be. But it also could very well extend in meaning to their self-centered, sensuous appetites. Their real worship is to self. Watch out for this, he's saying to them. And then they're glorying in their shame. Their values are in reality aligned with things that are actually shameful. And ultimately their obsession and their passion surrounds things of the flesh, of the world, and leads to destruction. And then finally, in summary, of these individuals, they are focused on earthly things. Their goals have to do with pleasure and fulfillment of self in the here and now. Now, Probably Paul is including those Judaizers from verse 2 and, and earlier in this description, those attempting to add to the message of salvation with law. But it could fit a variety of those claiming Christianity. They are dangerous and not those we want to imitate. I think it's, it's a pretty emotional, it's a harsh charge brought against these folks. But even as committed believers, we can find ourselves off base in our theology and our practice. And we want to find ourselves, if that's the case. We want to be aware if we are being influenced badly. So we need to take a step back, perhaps. Take a warning and be aware of who we are imitating. Who we are following, being influenced by. Now, we talked about this a while back as we looked at the influence of Timothy and Epaphroditus, but we should be intentional about who we hang out with, what we watch on YouTube, who we follow on social media, who we take advice from, and on and on it goes, right? The things, the people that we are influenced by. Well, in opposition to these, as we come to the, the next two, the last two verses, our end, as believers, as Christians, our end is not destruction. But it's the beauty of transformation as a citizen of heaven. There's a big difference there. 
So, so look at those last two verses as we see that idea of citizens of heaven. Do you remember in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul brought this concept up. He says there, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now, as a skillful author, he's coming back to the concept that he opened up in the earlier part of the letter. We recall that the Philippians uh, in, their, in Philippi was a Roman colony, and most of the occupants of Philippi were Roman citizens. They took pride in this. This was, by earthly standards, something to be noted, a thing of, of great value. But Paul reminds them, that their true identity and then their purpose as believers in Christ, it needs to surround the greater citizenship, that of heaven. So the concept is brought back up again as an underpinning to the sort of lives we ought to be living and the sort of people that we ought to be imitating, citizens of heaven. Now, I think these two verses, 20 and 21, speak of our future hope, but they're still being driven by verse 17, the call to imitate. As we imitate those who are passionately desiring Jesus, we're taking steps in our own walk to know him, to know Jesus. And remember the broader goal to be found in him, to have fellowship with him in suffering and even death, to forget what's behind, to press on toward the prize, all those things. And now looking at verse 20 and 21, as we sharpen our focus on hope, we can better pursue the prize. Did you, did you catch that? As we sharpen our focus on our hope, we can better pursue the prize. It's a little bit like learning to ride a bike. If you don't want to hit the power pole, stop looking at the power pole. When you're skiing down a hill at a good clip, keep your eyes focused on where you want to go, not on the tree that you really don't want to hit. I still remember Dad saying as I was learning to drive, look around the corner where you want to end up, not on the ditch where you hope to not end up. I uh, had some experience there. I remember one time him reaching over and grabbing the wheel and finishing the corner because I was looking at the ditch. Same thing on a motorcycle or other various things in life. Put your eyes where you want to end up. I think it's something like this as we think about the hope that's, that's being spoken of in 20 and 21. Where do we want to end up? Keep focus. Be driven by the coming of the Savior one day from heaven for us. Keep your eyes around the corner, if you will, on the reality of the transformation, even bodily, that's, that's being spoken of there, that we will experience one day by His power. So this is an interesting link. This eschatological hope with ethical guidelines end times hope that gives purpose now looking toward the finish line in order to walk well now john the apostle does something similar in first john 3 verse 2 and 3 listen to this he says dear friends we are god's children now 
and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The purification now has an eye to future. Paul, again, in, when he talks to the Galatians in 6 verse 9, a verse some of you are well aware of, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap, the prop, reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Keeping your eyes on the prize. So Paul is directing here the Philippians to their future. To their hope as they journey now. Same thing for us, I think. Looking around the corner. Putting your eyes ahead of you on the hope that you want to gain. Somewhere that you haven't been yet. But that gives success now. That will allow you to make the corner and not fall into the ditch. It will allow you to not hit the tree and take the path that you want. Well, I want to take just a few minutes as, uh, and look at verse 20 and 21 a bit closer. First of all, in 20, you see that we are eagerly awaiting Jesus to return for us, and a bit unusual for Paul, Jesus here is defined directly or simply as Savior. So we're looking for Jesus who will bring salvation to us. That's the focus of our goal. This focus on future things is an end to frustrations and miseries in the flesh and the sinful world. In other words, the finality of our salvation. And then the whole of verse 21 is further defining or modifying the Savior, Jesus. And we could spend a long time in the information that's in this verse, but just two basic concepts that you see there that come to light. One, our humble condition, our lowly earthly bodies will be transformed to be like His body of glory. Now you might read elsewhere in Scripture, even I think John said it, the one we read a minute ago, we will be like Him. I think we're to understand that our body will be redeemed, it will be saved and we will be transformed to be like Jesus' post-resurrection body, the body that he has now. But it is not teaching, we are not to understand <clears throat> from here or anywhere else in Scripture that we will be like him in character, in attribute, or in essence. It's talking about our bodies that will be finally saved and transformed. We will receive that final piece of salvation by the grace of God given a body like his, which also includes the transformation of mind, the mind and the brain being intricately connected to the body. Now, this is really good news for us. It's really actually remarkable. I was telling someone recently that when I get this new body, I'm going to jump off a high-rise just to see what happens, or jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Maybe I won't need an airplane, I don't know, but maybe that's not actually wise but i am sure that our bodies will be perfect they'll be indestructible and remarkably free from the effects of sin upon us we we don't know anything about that at this i mean essentially we don't know anything about that in our body of flesh now the second topic that's brought up in verse 21 again as the author here defines further the savior is that this body, this whole transformation, 
is nothing short of supernatural. It's accomplished by the great power of Christ. It's that same power that abolishes all earthly authorities at the end, even the power, even the power over death and sin. That's the power that will transform our weak and lowly bodies. That's a wonderful story, isn't it? That's a wonderful hope, something we can hang on to, something we can focus on. Not only is it okay to focus on, but we should. Now, some of you, I'm going to talk a little bit about hunting. I think I can get away with that here. I don't want to offend anybody, but some of you are hunters. Some of you just hunt mice in your kitchen. Others of you, perhaps it's a little bigger game. Has anybody here been on a guided, guided hunt? Oh, we're cheapskates. But <clears throat> or just really, really good. I mean, um, but what I mean by a guided hunt, as you probably know, is obtaining a devoted guide to help you find the animal that you're looking for. Now, at least for most of us, if we hire a guide, our chances of finding the animal that we want and having a successful hunt are much higher. There's two elements to this. Think about these two things. First, you want to know what you are after. What is your goal? Are you deer hunting? Are you water buffalo hunting? Are you prairie dog hunting? You want to know what you're after. And secondly, you choose your guide based upon your goals. Someone who is skilled in moose hunting in Canada may not be much help if you want to hunt the safari in Africa. Well, the guide serves as someone to imitate as you look toward your goal. We have the goal, perhaps of shooting a big game animal, but... Ideally, we have the goal of knowing Jesus as believers, reaching the prize of full salvation someday. Consider this, as part of reaching our goal, we should watch and imitate those who are humbly desiring Jesus. And this is coming out of verse 17 there and then punching all the way through the chapter, the end of the chapter I want to tell you a story, a first-person account that's not me, uh, someone by the name of Bo Saddle. I, I have edited and shortened the, shortened the story for today, for this morning, but if you want the full version, you can look him up online. I'll just tell it in the first person from his perspective. He says this, If you're considering an Arctic doll sheep hunt, my first piece of advice to you is just do it. My second piece of advice is this, pick a good outfitter or guide, and pay careful attention to his gear list. Well, I just did it, and I have an incredible doll sheep trophy to show for it, along with awesome memories of doll sheep in the soaring mountains, the stillness of the wilderness, and the companionship of the hunt. The hunt. I have memories of really, really torn-up feet. That's why I said pay attention to the gear list. I needed better boots. Sheep hunts are not cheap in terms of either money or time, so I knew that I would have to find a good guide to hunt the white doll sheep of Alaska. Through a personal reference, I heard of Deltana Outfitters, which I don't know anything about. I'm not recommending them necessarily. (laughs) He goes on, I wanted to accomplish two things in this trip. First, to go to the Brooks Range of Alaska, and second, to take a mature doll ram. 
I shared this hunt with my nephew, Craig. He and I arrived in Anchorage, Alaska's largest city, with no small excitement. The following morning, I flew from Anchorage to Dead Horse, Alaska, where Rich and Jim met us. In talking to Ralph and, and the others in camp, or Ralph and Jim, sorry, in talking to Ralph and the others in camp, I tried to get some kind of sense for whether we would be successful. Ralph let me know right away that his only guarantee is that of 100% effort. He said that when the weather doesn't keep us in the tents, we would definitely see sheep. He also let me know that God is the chief guide in all our camps. About midday, the weather cleared up enough to start flying us out. From our fly-in camp, we would hike out to a small spike camp that my guide had already set up near where he had spotted some rams the day before. The flight in to meet my guide and the view of the tundra and the snow-capped mountains was incredible. My guide, Joe, and our packer Shane and I immediately set off on the four-mile hike to our spike camp in a small drainage. This is where I began to wish I had paid more attention to Ralph's equipment list. The proper equipment makes all the difference in being comfortable and dry. After getting to camp and hiking up the mountain the next day, Shane spotted a ram about three miles up a canyon. They set up the spotting scope to take a look. Shane and Joe thought it was a good ram, but we needed to get closer to confirm. After working our way closer, Shane said, Aha, he's an old broomed ram. The excitement in his voice got me excited, and when I looked in the spotting scope, all I could say was, This ram is exactly what I've been dreaming of for so long. Joe, my guide, said, Bo, we should try to take him. So we set out on the stalk. It was tough climbing, and it didn't seem we were getting much closer for all the climbing we were doing. Joe would stop and peer around the slope from time to time to see if the ram was staying on the ledge. I couldn't believe he stayed there that long. We hiked on, and I had to stop and get my breath. All the while, Joe stayed with me and told me to take my time. He said I should set the pace because we didn't have to be in a hurry. Joe is 64 years old and the toughest man I ever met. We had been hiking and trying to get close to the ram now for 11 hours. I was really tired. It had been a long day and the constant exertion was beginning to wear on me. We were climbing in rock and my feet just seemed to keep slipping. I was tired and my feet hurt. The stream below us looked like a piece of sewing thread. We were so high. I was falling behind. We were side-hilling so steeply that I had both hands on the slope. I stopped and to told Joe, I don't know if I can make it. I keep slipping on the rocks and they keep moving. Joe came back and said, Bo, these rocks have been laying here for 2,000 years. They're not going to go anywhere. I almost laughed. It made so much sense. With these words of encouragement, I got up and went on. It turned out in a few moments we were close to being able to take the shot. We moved to a position where I could get a good rest, and as we peered over the, the edge, the ram was feeding. It was impossible in the fog and low Arctic twilight to determine the distance, and we could not get any closer. It was now or never. I took a shot, and I missed high. In the confusion, the ram charged forward. When he stopped, he was quite a bit closer. I fired again, and I had my ram. <clears throat> it's hard to express in, the words, in words the sense of accomplishment I felt right then. Shane and Joe were as excited as I was. These guys had worked hard for this ram, and I was really appreciating them. When we got the ram across the ravine, got to the ram across the ravine, he was even more awesome and, than he had looked through the scope. For me, a perfect animal. I was just so proud that I could experience this part of God's creation. 
At that point, I could turn my attention to my toes. I took off my boots. It wasn't pretty. A few toenails were not connected as they should have been. Both big toes were turning black and really swollen. Let me say it again. Pay attention to your guide. He knows what works best. After getting my feet taped up, Shane and Joe and the, and had the ram ready to pack out, and we finally got back to camp after nearly, nearly 24 hours. And after a little sleep, we hiked the four miles down to Spike Camp. My feet were numb. Once down, we just sat and breathed easy for a moment. What a great experience. I said to Joe, it's still hard for me to believe this is happening. In a joking tone, Joe said, every time you think that, just look at your toes. <laughs> After flying back down to base camp, Ralph suggested we get some coffee and talk about the hunt. I started by telling him about my feet. One look at my feet and out came the first aid kit. Well, the story goes on from there. New boots, foot recovery, etc. But Bo says this about his guide and his hunt. He says, Joe was the perfect guide with a worn-out hunter. He, he was the picture of encouragement and patience. He also made me feel good in telling me that I was a tough and dedicated hunter. Most would have quit long before their feet were in the shape mine were in. But, he says, the most important items to remember from this story are that we have a good God, hire the best outfitter, and pay special attention to your gear list. Well, this story, other than making me want to go traverse the mountains of Alaska with good boots, highlights two parts of this statement. As part of reaching our goal, we should watch and imitate those who are humbly desiring Jesus. First, what is our goal? This author had been thinking about his goal of dull sheep for many, many years. What is your goal as a Christian? By the way, I think this really is something worth thinking through and writing down. You can work off of some of the things we've been looking at in Philippians 3, what Paul has said, what the Holy Spirit has spoken to us there. But it should surround pursuing Christ Jesus, knowing Him, fellowshipping with Him, and attaining the prize at the end. What are you hunting for in your Christian life? What are your priorities? What drives you? And we're all going to be growing in this goal. But think through it and write it down. A practical way to meet the goals of your life then as a Christian is to imitate someone who has the same goals. Get a good guide. As part of reaching our goal, we should watch and imitate those who are humbly desiring Jesus. Now, imitating has to do with following an example, patterning our lives after, emulating a good guide. A good guide, an example, a mentor, They've been places and had experiences that make them worth following. They know the terrain. They know what kind of boots will work. They're aware of the difficulties in life and have their hopes set on the prize, as you see there in verses 20 and 21, the end. A good guide, someone worth following, 
someone worth imitating are, um, I should say, they have not made it yet. Keep that in mind. They're not perfect. But what? They are humbly seeking Jesus. They are paddling. They're pulling at the oar. They're striving. And could we even say they're, they're obsessed with knowing Jesus and reaching Him? A good guide shows the way, gives advice, and encourages when we don't think we can go on. In summary, as we think about our life, we ought to be passionate, passionately desiring the prized animal. We ought to be obsessed with knowing Jesus and gaining the prize at the end. Now, we're not always this way, are we? But we'll have a whole lot better chance of success if we follow a good guide, if we imitate a good guide. As part of reaching our goal, we should watch and imitate those who are humbly desiring Jesus. Do you have these kinds of guides in your life that you can look to? We should start with the Apostle Paul right here out of the Scripture as we're admonished. But there are others that we can imitate. Perhaps it's those who have gone before us. They're not with us anymore. But if they're a good guide, you can still look to their example. Perhaps it's a grandparent or someone who's stood out to you as a believer. I think it should include some that are still here in person as well, that are still with us. Mentors, experienced Christians, those who, who can encourage and share and even kick us in the pants sometimes. Good guides. So, put this into practice. As part of reaching our goal, we should watch and imitate those who are humbly desiring Jesus. Steve, would you come for a song? As he comes, let's pray. God, thank you that I'm just grateful that there are those who have gone ahead of us. From the Apostle Paul to so many others in Scripture. Many things we can look at the life of Jesus himself on the earth. And then there's those among us here and now. None of us perfect, but those we can look to. Those we can share life with, ask advice from, and imitate. I pray that you give wisdom. There are those we don't want to imitate. Those we don't want to hear their advice or follow the pattern. We pray your protection from that and wisdom to see those that we should imitate as we look toward Jesus, as we pursue Jesus, as we look toward the end, the prize at the end, and take our eyes off of us, off of me, and desire you thank you for giving us even any part of this process by your grace we pray in jesus name amen